Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact. Welcome back, everybody. We're now going to be chatting to Jacques Conradi, CEO of Peregrine Capital, about the strong performance Peregrine Capital, and he's going to be letting us know how he achieved that and what he sees coming forward in 2024. Jacques, I see that the, your high growth fund and your pure hedge fund achieved some impressive returns of 14.7% and 12.5% respectively. What was behind those returns? Hi, Dawn. Th- thanks. And uh, thanks for the question. It's, it's great being on. So every year at the end of the year, we, we look back and, and look at the components of the return for the year. That's often where you can find the lessons, what went well, what didn't go well uh, in the market. And I think fortunately, if I look back at last year, actually, we had several um, companies that contributed nicely to returns. And as a fund manager, you're always going to have losers, right? And and for us, we, we try to track that. And Dave Fraser, uh, kind of my, my partner and a fund of our business, always says, if you can keep the losers uh small, uh, you, you start every year ahead. So I think a big thing last year was we we had very few major major things that went against us. And then we had several nice winners, uh, Facebook or, or Meta now was our, was our biggest winner. Fortress Property Fund uh, was a very interesting story, how we try to create returns uh, out of an opportunity there was, was the second biggest one. And then uh, the SA Bank sector was also another nice contributor. So it, it came quite broadly, um, several winners avoiding the losers. And I think the market was quite tricky. Right? Rates went up, economy started slowing. So we were quite nimble in the portfolio last year, and, and we were willing to change our minds as new evidence uh, came through. I talking about Meta specifically, I know it's sort of at the end of 2022, you know, there were a lot of people who had sort of written it off and said, yeah, you know, they're they're on the way down. Um, and only for it all to surprise. Listen, the AI exposed stocks, you know, the Magnificent Seven that everybody keeps talking about, you know, probably surprised all of us is that mm-hmm. and quite frankly, there's probably quite a bit of hype built in there as well. But I mean, that's beside the point. Um, but what made you go almost against the flow with Meta specifically? So look, it, it cost us, and it's a share we've owned for six or seven years, and it, it really hurt us in 2022. And at the end of 2022, we had to look hard at this position to say, it's, it's been a really tough, tough year in 2022. What do we do here? Do we cut the position? Do we hold on? Do we increase? And fortunately, we we held on to the position. With hindsight, I would have certainly liked to increase it at the time. And I'll maybe just give you the, the two key things at that time. The two concerns was TikTok taking market share away with their younger users, and the other key thing was all of us would have seen on our Apple phones, um, Apple started saying, do you want to allow this app to track you, your movement across other apps? And most people say don't allow. So that impacted their ability to track ads. So those were the two big headwinds that caused the bad 2022. We love companies where the founder is still the CEO. Mark Zuckerberg is still the CEO there. So what do you do? He said, we're going to invest massively into AI. And rather than being able to track you around different apps, we're going to see which videos do you like to watch? Which posts do you like to interact with? And without knowing anything about you, just looking at the content you can consume, what products that similar users love watching the same content? And you can actually train that into AI. So they use this AI trend to offset those ad tracking headwinds to still show people the right ads. And then I think by copying many of the TikTok features and putting that into Instagram, it really stopped the share loss to to, uh, TikTok where you can get the similar experience on Instagram. And then at the same time, he was ruthless enough to cut 25% of their staff. They were like 85,000 people, cut more than 20,000 people. That's a really tough call to make to to take that many people out, but it was necessary to get their profitability back up. And we think founders are typically willing to do that. So I think that they did a lot better than we thought because of how 
active Mark Zuckerberg with. So a lot of it is, is due to him and obviously I think partly due to AI. So it was really a great opportunity. I think with hindsight, we did the right thing to see that there was a lot of opportunity for the company to improve things in 23. Um, if we're a bit smarter, hopefully next time around, we, we also double up at the low and, and it'll be even better for our investors. And moving on to Fortress Real Estate. Now, real estate, especially commercial real estate, has been a fraught asset class. Um, you know, it started uh, it started the troubles during the pandemic, and then you've got the work from home, and you know it, it's been in turmoil, and it's been difficult to navigate this this area. And, and a lot of you know asset managers have steered cleared from it, you know, for a good reason. So why is it that you decided that that this was a good punt, and and how did it work out? So Dawn, this was a really interesting one. And I guess for me, that's really passionate about markets. It was really kind of one of my favorite kind of opportunities we've had in the last few years. So what uh, many of your listeners might know, but but Fortress has two share classes. There's an A share and a B share. And the A share has the first right to income. So up to a certain amount, the A share gets the dividend and above that, the B share gets the dividend. Now, what happened in COVID due to rentals on a lot of shopping malls falling and interest rates going up after that, there wasn't enough distribution to even pay the A shareholders. So the company was not paying any yield. And there was this conflict where the A's wanted distribution and the B's and they couldn't see eye to eye. And because of that, the Fortress share price of both units fell, fell quite meaningfully. Um, and Fortress's single biggest asset is a 23% stake they have in New Europe Properties or NEPI. It's an Eastern European shopping mall owner. They're the biggest owner of shopping malls in Romania and Poland. Very nice asset business doing well. And what, was hap- what happened at the time is if I, if I looked at the total value of the A and B shares of Fortress, it was trading only on the value of the NEPI shares they owned. And they still have 15 billion rand of net asset value in SA, logistics, and, and shopping malls. So there was something wrong here. Like you were just paying for the one asset and there was 15 billion of value not accounted for because of this conflict for shareholders. So our viewers as a team, I mean, we, we spent like hundreds of hours debating this internally. How, how do we do this? We said, in a tough market where things aren't happening, let's see if we can make something happen. Let's see if we can unlock this with other shareholders. And our plan was to buy a meaningful stake in both shares at this level where you almost can't lose it. You're just paying for the nippy and you're getting all this property assets for free. And let's go see all the other shareholders. Let's go see the Bs. Let's go see the As. Let's see if we can find a solution to unlock uh, the, the conflict with shareholders um, and re, uh, recommence the dividends. And I think it, it took hundreds of hours of meetings, trips to Cape Town, lots and lots of calls. And eventually we got to an outcome where the A's and B's were equally unhappy, which is typically in our view a good negotiated outcome, um, where in the end the B's got settled. So they, in the next two weeks, this deal is actually going to go through um, where the B's get settled in NEPI shares. So we use like about a third of the total NEPI to buy out the B's and then it's just the A's left and they can get their distribution again. And I think it's a really great outcome. Both shares have done fantastically well because of it meaningfully outperforming the property sector. And I I think it's a lot of time we put in obviously there was a few other key shareholders that worked with us here after we got the process going but i think it was a nice one showing how you can unlock value on the jsc if shareholders put their heads together and work with a company to to try to find a solution to make something happen out of a out of an almost nothing situation i think that must be a fairly unique situation that that you're in there and kudos to you to, to actually getting it right and and seeing the opportunity of, of intervening instead of just being a, a passive investor, I think it's absolutely great. So another share that we you looked at um, and has been very interesting is Pindodo, which they're very prominent in the e-commerce industry. Do you want to just give us a little bit of background on the company and why you chose it and and what it's done for your portfolios? 
So, uh, Dawn, this is a share we, we've looked at for the last four or five years, and we first got attracted to it by uh, by just looking at China, and we looked at Alibaba there, which is the big kind of e-commerce, the Amazon of China, and then JD.com. And we were just amazed at this business. They started about eight years ago in China, and we thought Alibaba and JD at that retail, the e-commerce market completely tied up. And this team is just so fast-moving, so entrepreneurial, and they came up with this new model where they effectively allow the consumer to buy straight from the factory door. So they find factories that can produce goods very, very cheap and at scale. They cut out the warehouse, they cut out the middleman, and you basically just you aggregate all the consumer orders, buy it straight from the factory. They can do a run, lots of volume at low cost, ship it straight to the consumer. They, they, we can't think of a cheaper way to do retail is straight from the lowest cost factory to your door, right? So that, that revolution, and because of that, their prices are like 30 or 50% lower than even Alibaba or JD. Obviously, all of us like a deal. I like cheap prices. Everyone likes cheap prices. And, and, and consumers flock to it. So we, we looked at that. The share was always very expensive because of that. And then what happened last year is the share came down with the rest of China that's been under pressure for various reasons, uh, specifically probably the, the CCP and all the regulation on the tech companies. And at the same time, Pandodo was rolling out this model into the rest of the world. So they launched the America first and the app is called Timu, T-E-M-U, Timu. Um, bringing this product offering to the rest of the world. And it just caught off like a house on fire in America. And within 12 months, they got to like 75% of the monthly users of Amazon that's been around for like 30 years, which is just an amazing achievement because of that low pricing and aggressive marketing. And we, it started working in America. Then they went to the UK, to Europe, and this thing just took off. It actually launched in the last few weeks in South Africa. Uh, we've got our first order in lots of uh, cheap birthday presents for the kids um, at, at un unbelievable prices. So that that got us into the opportunity to say there's something there and, and people just love low prices. And I don't think you can get lower prices than Timu. The price was, uh, the, the share price was also cheap at the time. So I guess a combination of very, very high growth. This company's growing more than 100% at the moment, together with a low entry price. That's that's something we like and I think took advantage of that during last year. And it, it's been a great one so far. And we actually think if they can keep scaling Timu and getting that from loss making where it's now, because initially you spend a lot on marketing, you subsidize some of the prices. If you can get that to profitability, uh, it, it could be a fantastic opportunity in, in, in the years to come still. I think you've given all of us listeners an option other than Shein at this point in time. And I don't know yeah, how correct. the ones out there. <laughs> <laughs> They're okay, very much like Shein, but, but they've got a much wider, it's not clothing focused, it's a much yeah. wider category. So it's, it's very similar to that model. And many South Africans would know that, yes. And um, in a, very briefly, what do you see for 2024? Do you see buoyant stock market moving sideways, going down? What do you see? Dawn, I, I, I don't have the, the perfect answer there because I think there's lots of balls up in the air for South Africa. I, I think we've got to see how the selection plays out and I, I just the uncertainty or the certainty you'll get after it. And hopefully it's a pleasing outcome, some kind of ANC-DA coalition or ANC with the smaller parties is something we'd like to see that we know for the four year, for the next four years what we're going to get. And we want to see Transit and Eskom continue on this path of getting consistently better. If those two things happen, I, I think there's a decent story for SA with very, very cheap multiples at the moment. So I think the SA market could do well, but we're going to maintain the flexibility in our funds so that if, if things don't play out as well, we, we can we can make money. And if things do play out in, in a good scenario, which I hope as a South African, then I think there's going to be great opportunities in the SA stock market. Globally, again, uh, we, we think AI could be a driving force still, but valuations are high now. I think a lot of this is in the price. So it's not as easy as just buying those large companies. Who knows? Maybe it is again, but it, it's certainly not as clear as 
as last year. So I think it's a year where you're going to have to look at the data that comes out and make up your mind as the year progresses. It's a bit of a hard one to, to put a finger on now, unfortunately. Thanks very much for that, Jacques. That was Jacques Conradi, CEO of Peregrine Capital, chatting to us about their funds, investments, and giving us a little bit of insight into what goes into their thinking behind those purchases. Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice, and impact.